And I think with Crashlands too, as we started to develop out the tools and imagine what we wanted it to be, we were like, yeah, we can make, we could figure out a way to make this hand built to make the content scale. Yeah. What is, once, we're good. Uh, go ahead. You go. No, you. No, you. No, you, no, you go. Butterscotch. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 379 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I'm the web programmer. I'm Sam, and I'm the artist. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today's August 23rd, 2020. Before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be cursing. Just just torrents of curses. Torrents. Just blasting out of your speakers. It's as uh, if there was a drought of curses, and now there's a there's a heavy downpour of just curses. Just a torrential so downpour. Sort of a flash <laughs> flood of cursing. This reminds me when, we, when Sam and I were on the Favro video podcast, you know? And at the beginning, we made we double-checked with them. We are like, all right, I want to make sure it's okay if, you know, we're using profanity, like we don't do anything <laughs> gross, you know, but just like, it just, it's just casual, you know? And they were like, oh yeah, no, so, like we made a big deal about it. And I'm pretty sure we didn't say we just swear a the single <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> and I was like, uh, then, I, then I was like, that feels, it feels like we did something bad here. <laughs> I think it's I mean, good. if you're gonna, if you're gonna lead in with it, you gotta cash in on the yeah. promise. You know, yeah. I think it's good to set up an environment in which it's possible. You know, that's true. If yeah. you don't make use, yeah, of- it keeps everybody on edge because yeah, they're yeah, like, yeah. "It's coming." Is When's it, it coming? We're like, it never timer's counting down now. Yeah, we've got two minutes left. When's you know yeah. how you know how there's a lot of movies that have like jump scares and stuff like that where like yeah, like, okay, Final Destination. I think is the first one. Mm-hmm. Did such a great job of this. Oh yeah, where, like yep. as soon as as soon as they establish the premise that everybody in this movie is going to just die, but, just like kind of in the, ran, the most yeah. random weird ways, yep. then every single thing that you see is suspect. Yeah, and like <laughs> and like I'll never forget the scene where there's the the woman in the bathroom. And she's like, she starts to brush her teeth. And I'm like, oh my God, what the fuck is going to happen? Like, <laughs> how is she going to be killed by a toothbrush, you know? And then nothing happens, right? Yep. And she puts it. And, and then eventually, I think she ends up getting like strangled by like a shower cord or something. Yeah. <laughs> That's really weird. <laughs> In like the most elaborate way possible. But what was, what that kind of made me think of was like, I want to see a movie where it always seems like, something really bad is about to happen <laughs> and it just never ever does <laughs> like, tension building like or you got the, yeah. the shots that are close in with like oh it's getting kind of eerie and then it's just you're done yeah Isn't that like somebody get, what, somebody gets home from work and they they like turn on you know it's dark and they like try to turn the light on and the light won't turn on and there's like you know creepy music mm-hmm. and they're like hello and they just hear creaking in the house and stuff and then eventually they just go to bed and it's fine <laughs> I mean, in, in a way, it's kind of what the Blair Witch Project was, right? Yeah. Because, like, true. nothing really happened, actually. It was just, like, some people freaked out in the woods, and they were, like, mm-hmm. saying, talking about scary stuff, right? And there were, like, some noises and things, right? Yeah, but that's why it's so good, right? Because, like, this, it's all about the suspense. You know, mm-hmm. once you actually know what the monster is, this is, like, a, uh, the game Fear. You guys remember those yeah, yeah, games? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas, like, as soon as you give the protagonist a gun and you can just start shooting the monsters, it's like, all right, this isn't really scary anymore, right? Yep. Like, like when I'm when I'm defenseless and I don't know what's what's about to happen to me, then it's it's horrifying. Mm-hmm. 
But once I know exactly what I'm dealing with and I've got a gun to shoot it, <laughs> you know, different story. Well, yeah, then, well, yeah, I think it depends uh, you know, it's just a problem to solve. It depends on the thing, right? Because I think like – because that's how I feel about like Doom, right? It's like these grotesque like oh, yeah, know, yeah. horrible monsters, right? But I don't actually find it scary, right? Although – was it Doom there's Three? Some, which there's some jump scares. There, there was the one where it's like all dark and you know that, that was. Oh, we are so desensitized. Like the yeah. shit that we do in like Back for Blood, like fighting the zombie kaiju and you know oh, yeah. like there's no blood scariness. and gore everywhere. Right. Yeah. But when I when I played, uh, I think it was the original Fear, um, and I remember like even like of ways into the game, I was like going through this like office, like open office plan space, and there's like little partial dividers up and chairs everywhere. And that fucking little creepy girl, right? Like mm-hmm. her, her head pops up like over off in the distance and it's like dark in here. It's like, I, I know she's there and I know she's seen me, but then she's like gone again. Right. And then I'm like moving through that. I, I see her like suddenly like on all fours, juke across, you know, like the hallway as I'm coming through. Oh, so yeah, like I know she's up there. And, but if that was like a, if that was like a monster I'd seen a bunch of times and fought, then I'd be like, oh, I got to like, I'd be thinking about strategy, it. right? Mm-hmm. Because it's this like creepy ghost thing that you don't really even fight, I don't think, as, it, as I remember anyway. It's just there to make you uncertain about what's going to happen. Because I think that's the thing that you lose. Because I think you're right. It's, but I don't think it's about the gun. I think it's about once you get to fight something, right? Yeah. Right? But if you never get to fight it, and I think that's also like fear two, I want to say, which I only played like the beginning of the demo of, and I was like, this is too much for me. But like, you're walking through the hallway, you know, there's like these lockers on all, on all, on all sides. Oh yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden they come like blowing, like blowing open as if like something has sped past you. Right. Mm. And then all of a sudden, like up in the, there's like an intersection in the hallways up ahead. And then all of a sudden the pile of things just gets flung to the side mm. and you have no idea what it is that's doing this. If you can fight it, like yeah, it's what all it's going to do right? when you get there. Yeah. And so once well, it's all unknown, and I'm loaded up with like this machine gun and like grenades and stuff, right? But like, I don't even know what those are gonna do, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that. I think, so I, think it, I think it's I think it's the moment you get to fight a thing. I think that's when in movies it's the moment you see it, but I think in video games yeah. it's the moment you get to fight it. Because I think that's also why uh, amnesia for me worked pretty well um, in terms of like being scary because you don't fight stuff, right? And so, so you see it. But that didn't actually take the like the spookiness and scariness away from me because sure I saw it but I don't know what that means. You still though. can't you still can't handle it, right? I can't. And you know, as soon it, as it you know? as soon as it gets to you, you're you're dead. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But I mean, there there's to me there's like there's kind of a it's difficult to suspend disbelief in scenarios like when you look across the room and suddenly like the spooky little girl is over there, right? <laughs> and then suddenly she's gone again because it's why. Like, why would this girl, this spooky girl, appear and then disappear like that? So, There's no explanation other than to scare me. But that's right, why it's which is scary, like because that means she defies the laws of reality. You know, mm-hmm. she can do anything. You don't know. But what's you don't her know motivation? What she could do. But you know, that's, that's like, the core mystery. Trying, that's her motivation is to fuck with you, which is the scariest thing. in the she's a, mm. a being, as far as we can tell, a ghost, an omnipotent being, because she can just control reality, right? And she's fucking with you right now, right? She's playing. She's playing like she's toying with you the way that like a cat toys with a with a you know grasshopper or a mouse before it tries to kill it, right? Like you don't know what she's mm. doing. You don't know her motivations. All you know is that she's basically a god, and she's presented herself to you in the freakiest way possible, right? <laughs> and so like she's up to no good. But also, you know that whenever she wants to kill you, she just will. 
And so you may as well just carry on with your day. You oh, yeah, know? sure. You because may as like, well, yeah. but, that, but that doesn't <laughs> change. Nothing they yeah. do is going to matter. Yeah, so but, just, you know, just whistle and carry on. Yeah, but that's you know? like if you're it's in an okay. airplane where you're like, well, if this if this crashed, like, you know, that's it. So I should just not worry about it, right? And that's, that is like the yeah, logical exactly. path to go down, definitely. Yeah. But that's not how, you know, emotional responses to things work. Because those don't, those aren't yoked to your reason, you know. They just do whatever the fuck they want. So you can think about that as much as you want. You can think, like, I'm in a video game. It doesn't make any sense that this ghost girl is doing this. Like, the the this was a designed experience. They're trying to, like, cause some, you, you can think all of that stuff. And if you do it enough, aggressively enough, yeah, you can start to tone <laughs> down your emotional responses, right? Yeah. But you can't just remove it, you know. It's just not, mm-hmm. not, right? it's not intentionally. But it can fade with time and exposure, you know. That's true. But, yeah, I haven't exposed myself to I, that many creepy I kind of want to go back and play those games again because I, I never beat any of them. I think we should play that uh, Phasmophobia or whatever. The oh, one. yeah. The multiplayer we one. We should actually play that. The nice. ghost hunting one. Yeah. Okay. That was Let's actually scary as shit. Let's do it. And then we'll do a nail whiff yeah, about yeah. it. We should right. do it. Let's do it. Uh, Anyway, oh yeah. Also, uh, I didn't get to this part. We'd like to thank our recurring supporters <laughs> over at, over at MoneyGrab.BeastGuys.net. Thanks, thanks, guys, uh, guys, gals, for letting us grab your money. We mm-hmm. appreciate it quite a bit. Uh, all right, now I got a couple things to talk about before we get into questions. One is uh, this is a prime number episode. Nice Ooh. episode three seventy nine. That's all I want to say about that. Let's encrypt something Second, with this number. Yeah, let's make an NFT out of it. Yeah, can we do that? It has to be a prime number, I think. No, that you can work. No, you've the, no, I just made the that number. Up. <laughs> the number can be any number, so it's fine. But we can use it part of the cryptography for the NFT. We should actually make a new blockchain that uses Ooh, can we, the prime can numbers we of our podcast as the encryption key. Oh yeah, that's what we should. Do. Uh, also, can we let's make an NFT of the number three seventy nine? Yeah, and uh, mm-hmm. and then start talking on Twitter about how we own that number because we don't understand uh, anything. Do you remember do when when the NFT for colors came out and no. <laughs> they were taking just like hex colors, right? I mean, that's just as dumb as any other NFT. But it, but, it was uh, like, but it was so funny because because then the because the motivation was the guy was like, no, listen, he's like, think about it. You can no, hear me out. You can so, so you can just go like take a color. So it, it was, the idea was this was for artists, I guess. I don't know. But he was like, so you can just go take a color, right? You can be like, mm, this is. This is my color. And if people want to use it, they have to basically pay me a royalty because they they use it by like talking to the blockchain to like see whose it is or whatever. Right? Yeah, it's not how NFTs work. And, that's uh, not cool. how that works. And but so, carry on. So, so then they do that. <laughs> and then now all of a sudden we can have this, we can have this marketplace where like you can own colors and anybody who wants to use them uh that ends up paying you, right? And it but earnestly, at least it seemed, thinking that people would opt into this on the payment side because you don't own the color. You know, that's not how anything works. Yeah. So you would have to just opt into. I want to use red. So that I know I'm going to pay this I'm going to make sure you know? I pay them. Yeah. So- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's the weirdest. Even though, I, even though I, I'm free to just use it, yeah. I would need to just, just for safety, I'll go and just pay this random person. I think that was my NFT. favorite NFT scam. I mean, if we ever need, them. you know, investment capital, we could always just like launch the second season of the podcast on the blockchain or something like that. Oh yeah, you know. Actually, I saw Will Wright. I think just, just announced Will Wright, the Sims guy, right? The maker of mm-hmm. Sims. Yeah, and the two games that he's working on. They just got a bunch of funding for to put them on the blockchain for some reason. And I'm like, Will, 
Will, what do you mean? So put the multiplier. What do you mean? Put the multiplier. He doesn't know what he means by that. Will, stop it. He's just on the hype train. You were a legend. Yeah. If you want to hear, if you want to hear some wild shit, there's a Freakonomics. I think it's like a three. I think it's three episodes about cryptocurrency and NFTs and stuff. And it's a little infuriating because I can tell that the the hosts of the show do understand that this is all nonsense, but they needed to make three episodes out of it. Mm-hmm. And so they they keep like talking to all these people who are working with NFTs and crypto and stuff, and they're kind of like asking them genuine questions and and they're not, you know, directly calling them out on their answers because that would kind of like kill the interviews, mm-hmm. you know? It's hard. Yeah. Um so unfortunately, they just they gave them a lot of space yeah. to kind of to 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 bloviate about how amazing how amazing these new technologies are and how they they're going to enable so many new things. We don't know what they're going to enable still mm-hmm. after it's, it's all, all going to be expensive, time. whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, so re- I mean, really, <laughs> at its core, they've definitely enabled tons of new ways to scam people. That's mm-hmm. it's, it's incredible. The innovations, the innovations in scamming technology are just. Astronomical Ooh. these yeah. days. It's it's a it's a whole new world. But I think it, it used to be like it always gets harder to scam people along certain dimensions, you know. So like yeah, that's, that's why true. you got to keep these new scam industries. You got to keep it hot and fresh. Alive, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, now there's one other thing I want to talk about, which is just this interesting thing that happened the other day, which was we had an episode of Turbo Rain. Mm, okay, yeah. I want to talk about Turbo the Rain. <laughs> so looking outside. It's like kind of sunny, but it kind of has like this feel mm. that it's going to rain. It's just right? a little spooky, a little off. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just – and so I look at I'm like, I feel like it's going to rain. And, and then I look, I look at my phone. I go to the weather app or whatever, and it's like – weather app's like, nah, bro, it's not going to rain. Uh, everything's fine. Zero percent <laughs> chance. Get over yourself. And I'm like, geez, okay. So I I – Put my phone away, and then about two minutes later, all of a sudden, it starts raining just instantly, harder than I've ever fucking seen in my entire <laughs> life, okay? But the sun is out, and the sunlight was refracting through the water in a way that basically made it look like it was just like a white glowing <laughs> like pla- plasma wall out of my window. I couldn't see across the street. I couldn't see anything because it was just... And, and like the light coming in through the window was so diffuse that everything in the house took on this like a weird kind of like ethereal kind of glowing mm. like quality. It was – it was bonkers, OK? So it rained like this for like three minutes and then it just instantly stopped. <laughs> yeah, the way you're describing this makes me wonder because you know, you, know, you know Thor's Bifrost – Situation. Mm, the no, whole, like, we, I don't seeing through like is the bifrost so is like the the portal. Then they can it's like the shoot portal through. thing. Yeah, yeah, but they like when they when it comes down, it's just like a big beam of light. Yeah, which yeah. is essentially what you're describing. And I'm wondering. Yeah, hear me out. This, it, yeah, this one was just more wet than. Yeah, well, that's what I'm wondering. I'm movies, wondering if you if you had some sort of alien encounter or uh, other mm. sort of mm-hmm. you know, parallel dimension shifting situation happen, the byproduct of which was just that things were wet now. Mm-hmm. But actually what you were, yeah. Yeah, it was sort of your brain or, interpreting. Because the eerie glow inside the house, I don't know, man. Yeah, spooky. Or well, like, it actually the was. Windows, you know? <laughs> it actually just may have been the bifrost, but, you know, global warming, so melted, right? Mm. 
now it's just the by water. It's, it's, it's by rain. It's just <laughs> by rain. The, just torrential downpour, you know? It's probably, mm, yeah. that's probably what happened. Yeah. But I mean, the, the cool thing about this was immediately after then, I, so this, this storm, I don't know what to call this, <laughs> this downpour, you know, it, it, it passed really quickly. And so then we were able to look off uh, afterwards, just like walk outside and just look off in the distance and just see this just brightest fucking rainbow I've ever seen because <laughs> it was the water was so thick, you know, uh, awesome. just off in the distance. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was pretty cool. But this is happening more and more uh, all over the place. We're just like all of a sudden just torrential downpour mm-hmm. uh, in a place that just hasn't had any rain in a long time. Whereas like in the past, it would be like, oh yeah, like it's rainy this week. And there's like three or four days where it's just kind of raining a bit, mm-hmm. right? And what happens now is instead- and we still have like, that. We just now also have this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like all of a sudden you just get punched by rain. <laughs> and so like, I, I guess I guess in Texas, uh, just yesterday or a few days ago, it's just like all of a sudden they got like an entire summer's worth of rain in mm-hmm. one day and just flooding everywhere. Like we had that in St. Louis- uh, Three weeks ago, four weeks ago. Yeah, the whole 13 inches of rain. There was, yeah, like 13 inches of rain in like six hours. Like, yeah. what the hell, man? I was in it's crazy. When I was living in Dallas, I was driving one day when we got hit with one of these, and it wasn't as intense as the one you're describing, but it was still like you couldn't see, you know, kind of stuff. Middle middle of the day, otherwise perfectly bright. And and so I'm just like, fortunately, I was driving in a residential area, so I could just kind of like pull over and stop, you know. But I like, put my brights on and like was holding the parking brake down, so it'd be like, please see lights, you know, because like mm-hmm, it was just. Mm-hmm. But it was the same deal. Where it was just perfectly bright outside. All of a sudden, I couldn't see. Yep. For like a few minutes, and then it was gone. It's pretty spectacular. And then, know? but then it was also because it, it's in, you know Dallas, so like it's we just you just live on concrete there. It's just a big flat mm-hmm. piece of concrete. Oh yeah. And then dry as fuck ground, which doesn't soak up water. Like you'd think that dry ground would just like soak up the water, you know, but no, it, it does not. It absolutely <laughs> it's hard not. packed. It just runs right off of it. So then all of a sudden it was like, just the road was like six inches of water, you know? <laughs> and so then I just sat there for a while longer to just kind of let the water recede because then it was like falling into drains and stuff. Right. But as I was getting, trying like getting back home, like any, every little dip, it was like, I was like, Oh no, I'm going to be stuck in this. Cause it was like, so much water just everywhere, but it was that same thing, just this brief like. It's a new just give me one of those. I think this is six inches deep, but it's actually six feet deep kinds of situations. Oh, yeah, yeah don't fuck with water. <laughs> I think it's, a, it's always a good thing to remember. Yeah, although I do love videos uh, of people who are like, "I'm gonna drive right through this," uh, and then <laughs> they go, they they try to drive their truck or something through like four feet deep of water, and then it just ends up floating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, mm, not driving through that, buddy. Yep. Uh, anyways, let's get on to some questions. Uh, these questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. If you'd like to get your question onto a future episode, go there and ask it. Hi, Stubfoot question comes from Zivix, who says, who says, can you hoard ceilings? If you remove a ceiling from a home, is it still a ceiling? Mm. So this is a mm. kind of a philosophical question. So let's, all right, so the first the first part of the question. I don't even understand can you, the first Can you part hoard of this ceilings? All right. So, what so for is starters, I guess. Ceiling? It, yeah. What is a ceiling and what would it mean to have a bunch of them? Mm-hmm. Right. Because the hoarding is like you just, you've got a bunch of 
stuff. But hoarding is specifically, it's not just having a bunch. It's having a bunch at the expense of other people having it, right? That means that you having a ceiling takes a ceiling away from somebody else. Well, unless we're talking about in the hoarder sense where you've got like, you just never just get like, rid of any ceilings. Yeah. yeah. So in that scenario, you would need to have sort of like leftover old ceilings that nobody wants, right? And nobody mm-hmm. needs mm-hmm. and you don't need, but you're, you're holding on to them just because that's what you do. You know? but I think if you get so, you got to answer the question of what a ceiling actually is, though, right? Because can yeah. you even yeah can you hoard it in the first place? And I think the question I think a ceiling is just would just be it's a wall that doesn't give a fuck about gravity. I think is what a ceiling is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's the top of a room. Like, does the International Space Station have ceilings? Mm. Or, does it, only or have does it floors? Or does it only have walls? I think it only has walls. I think it only actually. has walls. Yeah. yeah. It only has walls, but also the astronauts do tend to orient themselves in the same way. That's just so they can talk like, to they, each other without somebody being upside down. Yeah. They treat well they, <laughs> they they tend to treat one side like one wall of the space station as the floor. Yeah. And they treat the other as a ceiling, but also they can just go to the ceiling at any time. Yeah, it's just and for now that's just another mm. floor. So the question basically would be before you've put a surface up there, is it a ceiling? So if you need to install a ceiling, is it a yeah. ceiling pre-installation while it's sort of, you know, you can collect no. the parts in them? I don't think so. It's, also, it's, just, it's just drywall or it's just some tiles yeah. or, you know. So ceiling is just a could, concept, basically. A ceiling is a social construct. Okay. Well, yeah, it's yeah. also a completed <laughs> real construct. It's both at the same time. You know, and the social construct is it's constructed where we draw literally. the lines. <laughs> That's what I mean, yeah. Yeah, but it's but it's also like what we decide the boundaries. Because social constructs are either largely or completely made up, even if they have real impacts, right? Or it's about where's the line drawn between how we're trying to categorize things. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. anytime we're trying to categorize anything, uh, there's no definition that just works universally, right? Yeah. Which just affect how the world works. The, work, the world is a, in, an actually interesting place. So if it was it's easy a little fuzzy. to be like, this is that and that's that, then that's boring. I, like, yep. No, we don't want that. And so I think a ceiling is, you know, it's the same deal. Because like you could start getting fucking weird with it. You can do like, you know, those big mm-hmm. church things where like the wall just starts to bend, you know, so and then eventually comes to a point. Is the ceiling yeah, just point, the, the tip, you know? Or does it have yeah. no ceiling? Does it have no ceiling? Is it a room with three walls? Mm-hmm. I guess with like a floor and two walls. Here's a question. No, if you're, <laughs> if you're, the shorter you are, is there more ceiling? You know, if ceiling's kind of like the space up there that you can't Is it really the space or with. is it the surface? Well, if it's you the know. surface up there that you can't really interact with, you know. If well, it depends. Because then, I think then parts of the walls are out of your exactly. reach. So now that's the ceiling. That would be like maybe. a gothic cathedral, right? Where it's, it's actually just a wall all the way up. But as soon point, as you're like, that's the ceiling now. Yeah, once because, you can't reach it. Once you can't but then that it. would also mean that a, a low ceiling becomes a wall now, which is how it feels, actually. You know? That yeah. is true. Yeah. You feel that's really walled people say in. the walls are, the walls are closing <laughs> yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, now, you, don't, you don't feel ceilinged in. No one ever says no. that. That's ridiculous. Yeah, or floored, really. Well, you can be floored. You can be floored. Yeah. But that's which about means being knocked sort of. Yeah, onto the floor. Yeah. 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 The thing about ceilings is they're generally non-interactable. You're not like, oh, I fell right onto the ceiling, you yeah. know? Or yeah. ceilings you are can, about I limits, guess you could right? because you're like, I really hit the ceiling on this. Yeah, yeah. 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 But really the ceiling is just the bottom of the next floor. Sometimes, you know? but not always. Sometimes. Sometimes. The if roof. there is a next floor. Yeah. Now if you're now can you hoard them? 
I think I think this is just a definitions problem because if hoarding something is just having a lot of it, then you mm-hmm. can definitely hoard ceilings by building a skyscraper. Yeah. You know? Or, you know, mm-hmm. hoarding properties, which is, you know, a real mm-hmm. problem because yeah. now you've also got all those ceilings in there from all those properties you hoarded. Yep. So, but yeah. I, think, I think they come along for the ride when you're hoarding something else, though. You know, yeah, I don't I think agree. it's – you can hoard them specifically because even yeah. if you stacked a bunch of ceilings on top of each other – just like literally on top of each other. That's just that one is, ceiling now. That, yeah. Well, it's just one floor now because you it know. depends on where it's at. Really. Uh, are they are, are they stacking them on the ground or are you? No, I mean, like on top of each other. You know, there's no space in between. So that's just one ceiling now. And if you start to oh, move yeah, them apart, true. then now you're making more floors. Now you got a skyscraper, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, <laughs> if you just stack a bunch of ceilings, though, isn't it like a bunker at that point? Yeah, because it's, it's just a thick, it's a ceiling. really thick ceiling. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But it is still yeah, one ceiling. It's like a thick, juicy ceiling. Yeah, so I think actually ceilings are are sort of not only not hoardable, but sort of anti-hoardable. Because the only way to create one is to create a space in which a ceiling belongs. That's you know? true. Because so a ceiling few, has to have a space have under it. Mm-hmm. Yep. You can only have exactly enough. Yeah. So you can only have one ceiling per space. Yep. Yeah. So you can't you can't hoard them because they always are proportional to the space yeah. that they're in. So you can hoard spaces, but you cannot hoard ceilings. Well, what if you have like a loft? Because that's got like you know two. You got like the the major ceiling at the top, but then you got like the lofted areas. Oh yeah, but but below. there's yeah, but but there's always a you know one ceiling uh like above any given space, right? Mm-hmm. Like. If you move to another part of the loft, there might be a different ceiling for that part of the loft. Does but it? Does a trellis square footage wise? Is a trellis a wall? Like no, like the what's um, a trellis? Uh, like the outdoor, like a pergola? Is that what that is? It's pergola. No, pergola. <laughs> like the one with the slots on the top instead of an actual. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. About. Yeah. So like if you got slots, those, you got the posts, yeah. four posts, and then you got like the slotted beams across. Maybe some. Vines. Yeah, I've never under, really understood those things. I think uh, it's it's just the wind doesn't rip them off the ground. I think is their purpose. Yeah, but, yeah but I don't think that's a no. That's just some horizontal boards. Yeah. So not, I guess they're cut. It's not even it's not a floor. I would say it's not a ceiling because you could just go right through that thing, you yeah. know, like as could and things could come down through it as well very easily. So it's not mm-hmm. it's not really doing anything mm-hmm. uh, to block stuff. But you can turn right? it into a ceiling just by covering the bottom of it. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But it isn't before that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. So it's just outside <laughs> ceilings. Because if it's if it's just outside, you know, then you're not short of ceiling. You can, again, you can only have exactly the right number of ceilings. Just yeah, not horrible. Right. Yep. That's right. There you go. All right. Next question comes from Tim Conceivable, who says, do you like cheese? What is your favorite kind? Yes. White cheddar or any kind of just very uh, potent cheddar because I like to eat it with crackers. Mm. I like a I like a funky gooey cheese. Like I want it, especially if it's if it's a goat milk cheese. There's like the goat funk. You know, because it's got mm-hmm. a, some kind of thing. But going. you're you're like you're a runny eggs guy too. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. Give me give me flavor. You know, like the, the more flavor, the better. Like runny runny eggs, it's just like like fatty, delicious stuff. Because like eat eat those once <laughs> once you cook them up, it's like eating. <laughs> you might as well just eat some yellow chalk. You know, it doesn't taste like anything. It's dry as a bone. It just crumbles. It's horrible. But like get that nice gooey stuff. And it would, yeah, so like a good funky cheese that when you smell it, you're a little bit uh, concerned. Like that's that's you're a little you're a little <laughs> ill, a little not all the way to ill, but you're just like this shouldn't be good because there's a bad smell here, right? Mm-hmm. Because then when you eat it and it is good, 
it's like stinky tofu. It's the same deal, right? Like stinky tofu, you can smell that shit from a mile away, right? And but people love it, so you're like, okay, it's got to be worth it somehow, right? Same deal with stinky cheese. And then you eat it, and you're like, fuck, that is good, you know? And yeah, it seems like you're very uh, you're very risk tolerant when it comes to you know putting eating some of these things. Where it's like, oh yeah, this is suspiciously definitely not a good idea. Basically, based on some other senses that are happening. Yeah, but I base it on, on trust other people, right? Because yeah, because if other people are like, oh, this is the shit, right? Then if my senses are screaming at me and like, no, this is bad, I'm like, you're my, these are wrong then because mm-hmm. other people are into it. It's got to just got to be something there, you know. But like, I don't know. I just I just like having lots of stuff going on so it isn't boring. You know, so, mm. so you get like a good, cause I don't even, I don't, I don't like having to eat. So if I'm going to, let's make it, let's make it an adventure, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So like, so there's a, there's a cheese place here in St. Louis that every once in a while we go to, cause you know, it's very expensive to get like the fancy cheese. stuff. Right. And, but there's like, there's the, re, there's a real cheesemonger there. Right. You know? And he's like, there's like the case. You can ask him questions. He'll tell you about the history. He's just, he's just monging. Uh, he's monging, monging mm-hmm. the shit out of these cheeses. He knows everything about <laughs> Every single one, you know, and he's like talking about each one. And he's asking us like, uh-huh. kind of what we're into, you know, and it like brings that, lets us taste different things. And, and like, I love that whole experience because it's like, you know, you're talking to a nerd who's into, just really into the topic, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like trying to figure out how to give you a good experience based on what they're into and what they think you might be into. And the, the diversity of kinds of experiences you can have is just so enormous. And, and yeah, every once in a while I can bring something home. It's pretty stinky. Not good. It's like eat it. I'm like, this is a little too off for my tastes, and I still give it an honest shot. Keep on trying it because I'm always like, I almost always adapt, you know, and then eventually like it. Every once in a while, that's not true. Every once in a while, it's just gross the whole time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's fine. That's part of the adventure. That's how you find the good stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. It just never gets better. Something's no get risk, better. No reward. That one, yeah. that one didn't. So that never, time, yeah, and it is it is a no risk no reward. I think it's like there there have been a few cheeses that we found this way. That were like one of those things where you're like, oh, this is why people are in. This is why there are cheese people, you know. Like you eat those few things, and you're like, oh, this is just a different kind of experience, actually. Um, and so you don't get to have mm. those if you don't stray don't into risk. risky territory, you know. Mm. Um, so yeah, so I like cheese. I like funky well, I mean, I, wet cheese. I like I like cheese, uh, mozzarella specifically, because mm. I found that you could slap mozzarella on just about anything. And it's, it's great, especially, I mean, particularly if you're heating it, if you're putting cold mozzarella on stuff, that's a harder sell. I yep, feel, definitely. Um, unless it's that one salad where I guess quote unquote yeah. salad where it's yeah, just once like, you get, once you get tomato and basil mixed <laughs> yeah. in there, then you can do anything, yep. you know, uh, it's like a bun but, in that context. Yeah. <laughs> the thing that I've, that I've kind of learned about cheese is that, so, cause I kind of, you know, I kind of developed a lactose intolerance in my late twenties. Same. And, you know, a lot of cheeses do, don't really have a lot of lactose in them. And so you can, you know, you can get by eating, eating some cheeses. You some know, do though. You've got this. Yeah. Some do. So you gotta, you gotta know, know your stuff. Uh, but one thing I learned is that it is incredibly hard to avoid eating cheese <laughs> <laughs> in the United States it is. because it is in everything. And, uh, and lactose is just in every dessert. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because lactose is the sugar that is in milk, you know, and that's what makes milk have, you know, nearly the sugar content of like a Coca-Cola is the lactose. Yeah. So, and it's also why it's, you know, why milk is what, you know, babies consume because it's incredibly 
calorie dense because of the lactose, because of the sugar in it, you know? Uh, and so like, it's sweet, but that means as Americans, we love putting, we love putting milk and everything, cream, mm -hmm. cheese, mm -hmm. whatever, whatever we can squeeze it in, we put it in there. And I was, that so. is specific to like American food, right? It's like just that everything has cheese on it, you know? Cause yeah. I, cause I, yeah. I mostly eat other cultural food. Cause I'm like, I'm like at home, I cook American food because that's like what I grew up with. Right. So like when I got to eat, I'm always trying to have other stuff. And it is the case actually that in lots of other contexts there, it's actually hard to find cheese, I guess mm -hmm. it's like parts of the food. Right. But it is like every once in a while, cause I don't go to a, just like straight up like American style restaurants very often. But every time I do, I always have that. I'm just like blown away that literally every single item is like this cheese. with cheese, this with cheese, this with like all the way down the yeah. bottom. My and wife refers to it as fat salt. Because I like how you put salt on everything, and it just sort of makes stuff mm. better. <laughs> yeah. Cheese is basically fat salt, where it's like it's the same. It does yeah. the same thing. You just throw it in stuff, and it's just somehow makes it a little yeah, bit I, good, right? Because you know? unlike butter, which like because it melts mm -hmm. all the way, so then yeah. it doesn't really like stay there. But cheese will stay there, so it's like you still get the advantages of butter. Without well, and like melting a cheese, away. like it gives like a gooey texture, mm -hmm. and you know, it's oh man, like it's yeah, it's 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 very easy to improve just about any recipe by just slamming some <laughs> cheese true. into it. So, if you like kind. a gooey texture, you should try out runny eggs. <laughs> no, I don't, no, I don't, I don't know, like you know, uh, another thing that makes everything better on just so cheese, yeah, definitely runny egg yolk. Throw that shit on. Well, anything. that brings me to my next point, which is I'm trying to eat more vegan. So, so you can have neither so cheese I'm nor trying, egg yolks. Yeah, cheese, eggs, butter, all that stuff. And and something else that I'm learning then is um, no honey. Never mind. Like that stuff is in everything. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> if you yeah, if you want to go, if you want to just go out to eat at just any restaurant in the U.S., almost no restaurant has a vegan option. They'll, they'll sometimes have a vegetarian option, but they will almost never have a vegan option. Right. So. If you want to eat vegan stuff, you've got to like go to a specifically vegan restaurant that like that they specifically that's their thing that they do, or you just kind of put up with it and like eat something that has some cheese in it or you know whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's been an interesting. That's mm -hmm. been an interesting. Uh, you know, you just, it it very much has that like when people talk about the idea of privilege and how like. When everything is targeted at you, you just don't really realize how much that's the case mm -hmm. until you have to start viewing things from a lens that isn't about that, right? Yep. Uh, and so, like when when you're eating meat and dairy and eggs and cheese, you know, and all that stuff, then you go to a restaurant and you're just like, "What do I want? Like, I can have I can anything. anything. <laughs> I can have anything on this menu. It's all just looks amazing." And as soon as you come in there, if you've got like a gluten issue or if you're vegan or whatever, and you're like, what do I, what can I have? And then there's like a little corner down at the bottom you know, <laughs> where they're like, this might be vegan. We're not totally sure what that means, right? <laughs> uh, and you're like, all right, fine, I'll get that, right? Uh, and you just kind of realize you know, just how much everything is engineered for a completely different mindset, you mm -hmm. know, than, than what you're coming in there with. So, you know, it's just a little, little self-discovery journey. But uh, that's okay. I'll still just eat. If if I don't have good option, I'll, then I'll you know I'll just get something that looks good, mm -hmm. and it's it's okay it's if it's got whatever. Yeah. Uh, our next question comes from Biggie Bapa Boop, who says, "You said on episode three seventy four that the world of Crashlands two will be hand built. In my opinion, this seems great. I found the random generation and infiniteness of the original Crashlands to be cool, but not particularly interesting. 
or necessary mechanically. Mm -hmm. I'm betting, however, that this was a tough decision. How did you come to the conclusion that handcrafting the world is the way to go? Mm. I mean, basically that same observation. Yes. It's cool, but not particularly interesting or necessary mechanically. The question with OG Crashlands was the same question with Crashlands 2, which is not that we would prefer to have procedural generation, but that that solves a whole bunch of content problems. Um, Mm -hmm. So if it's really hard to create and manage content, um, including a hand-built map and all the things that take place on it, then it's, I mean, it's, it's conceptually more difficult to do procedural and have that like work out. But in terms of amount of work, it's much less, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to get to a level of like, that's good enough, right? Versus like hand-built, getting to a level of good enough just takes way, way, way more. So it's, from what I recall from OG Crashlands and also discussion about Crashlands too, it was really about, do we have any other choice, right? Mm-hmm. And I think with Crashlands 2, as we started to develop out the tools and imagine what we wanted it to be, we were like, yeah, we can make, we could figure out a way to make this hand-built, to make the content scale. Yeah. One of those, once, we go ahead. Go ahead. You go. No, you. No, you. No, you, you. No, you go. All right. So, <laughs> so it, was, it was really because of Levelhead that we realized <laughs> that, we w- that we would be able to make a world editor for Crash Institute that would be potent enough for us to actually just like build a handmade world. Um, because we just, we didn't, the, the Crash Institute creator that we used to make the custom campaign elements of the original game, that was in a web browser. Like, mm-hmm. Adam made a tool in a web browser for for us to build out those outposts and stuff like that. And and to be fair, that tool was pretty dope. Yeah, uh, especially given how little I knew and how bad I was at web programming at that time. Like, yeah, I knew like, nothing. Yeah. It was but pretty good. Compared to the feedback loop and the visual clarity of editing stuff directly in the game, in an in-game editor, a web browser tool just doesn't hold a candle to that, yeah. right? And so if you're trying to build an entire world uh, using a browser-based tool, I think it's going to be a lot more tedious and take a lot more time, you know? Well, yeah, it always depends on do. how, the, you know, the, the fidelity, right? Because, like, the fidelity of the original Crashlands creator was pretty low, right? Like, it wasn't... Like, because it would like upload all the tiles and, and like all the assets or the you know, individual sprites of the things, but like you don't see things animated. It's not quite the right scale, mm-hmm. right? It's not overlapping exactly the right way. Um, and we did that because we had so much stuff to do already, like on the game programming side, that diverting Seth to building like tooling on top of the game stuff just did not seem feasible. Too much. And so we're like, okay, well, as a sort of second best option like i can make an editor in a different context where i know the tech you know and it won't be the same but as long as it's close enough that as you're building stuff you can like grok it then you know it's fine and i think that was true when you're building like these one-off like small things like we did in original crashlands mm-hmm. but for building like an entire world you know i think it's always low fidelity yeah the I, the difference to me is a is a framing one in terms of the intent with Crashlands 2 for how the world fits into the gameplay, which is that yeah. in the original, it's almost like, you think about the ocean, which is if you're, if you're sailing on the ocean, there's kind of nothing going on, and then there's an island, and then, you know, that's what might be of interest or whatever else. But that the moment-to-moment stuff is kind of just the same here and there, but you need all that sea to have the islands poke out and be of interest, right? Yeah. And that was that's kind of what you get with procedural generation. That's what actually the model kind of ended up being, which is you're 
you are walking between actually interesting locations, but the world itself doesn't have naturally interesting stuff going on. So Crashlands 2, I think, is much more aimed at being something more akin to like a almost like a national park or something like that, where it's like everywhere you're going, any individual trail you're on is interesting by virtue of its own stuff. And you are heading to these interesting locations, right? Yeah. And that shift in intended frame means that players can find, you're constantly finding areas that have a sort of a bend to them, like a bit of an identity to them, even if they're using the same mix of uh, you know, parts basically that you'd see in other parts of the world. It's a unique blend in any given one place in the same way that if you're on a hike or something like that, you might come across a place where there's just like a bunch of one particular kind of tree for some reason. And it just, you know, it's cool. It looks cool. You remember it because it sticks out. Um, it feels like there's a reason, you know? It yeah. feels like it feels like the history happened in such a way that this ended up this way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so it's it's much more angled at that side of things, which is how do you, how do you turn it from being, okay, you're on a raft at sea and the only interesting parts are you sort of few and far between to basically saying that everything is interesting, but, and you can't do that with procedural generation, I guess is the short version. Because as soon as we try to do that, get into that stuff with procedural, then it's like, well, you start seeing the pattern again somewhere else. Uh, yeah. Well, well, just, some, something that we kept running into with the procedural generation was we always had this desire to have areas mm-hmm. come out of it like like a, uh, an area that like Sam said has a unique identity where we'd say we really want this kind of a resource to appear in clusters right we want there to be like a, an area where there's like a bunch of walker roots mm-hmm. or whatever right and by default with the procedural generation you know you're you're largely going to get things that are kind of randomly interspersed unless you do a bunch of work to try to make those those clusters happen but at the same time, since the world kind of just goes on infinitely in all directions, then uh, the player has a lot more open space to navigate through, and they may end up not encountering those clusters, mm-hmm. you know, for a long time. It's just kind of on accident. It's really right? hard to make something that is both rare and definitely discoverable, right? Yes. When you're doing yes. like procedural, large scale stuff, because. Um, you could just stumble across, just never stumble across it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if it's rare enough, you know. Mm-hmm. But then when it comes to a handcrafted world, you know, the rarest thing in the world is something that there's one of, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's as rare as it could get. Well, if you put one of something just at a completely random lo- location in an infinite procedural world, almost nobody's going to see it. Right? Or you just, the only way to see it is to make sure it gets seen is to guarantee that they can point get there. Which means a yeah, new mechanism the player there. Yeah, that just sends them to that spot directly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what you can do instead with the handcrafted world is like, yeah, the handcrafted world is way smaller, but every inch of it is deliberate and interesting. And so, for example, you may have this one rare item and you may say, you know what? I want this item to be kind of like way off in the distance in like in a cave that is just filled with these like aggressive kinds of creatures. And also like the player will have to build a bridge to get to this little island to get that, you know, you can kind of think about these scenarios of almost like, you know, it's like obstacles that the player will have to go through and the kind of experience that they, that they would have to do to sort of like overcome those challenges to acquire that thing um, versus, you know, in a totally random world, it's like, it's just going to be somewhere (laughs) just kind of, Wherever it is, and that's and that's uninteresting, which means that you tend to not do things like that in a procedural world, right? Um, you end up with just like it's all about it's all about just uh, 
numbers, which is, or like rates. So instead of there being one really interesting thing that has a really interesting experiences wrapped up in it, instead you'll think, okay, well, I want this particular item to be kind of hard to get. So I'll just reduce its spawn rate. Right. And sometimes when the player finds it, maybe it'll have some stuff around it that's a little more challenging, but other times they'll come across that thing and it's just kind of there out in the open. Right. Um, so I think like the shrines are kind of an interesting example in the original Crashlands. Mm -hmm. Uh, which were the little um, like, like Diablo style, like yeah, temporary random stations. Yeah, buffs, yeah, they're like yeah, they're like these kind of weird crystalline structures that when you'd hit them, you'd get a yeah, like oh yeah, you can like one shot everything that you harvest for the next like minute, or oh your fishing is boosted, or you know you do like triple damage or whatever, right? Um, so those shrines were really cool, right? But in all cases, they're just like there, they're just sitting there out in the open. Mm -hmm. Um, and there was nothing you had to really do to gain the benefit of them other than just walk up to it and slap it. Right. So in a, in a design space, we can actually put the shrine into an area that is more visually interesting and has like a lot more cool stuff going on. And also there could be something that the player has to do to get to that shrine that we've actually thought about, mm -hmm. which means we can make the benefit of that shrine bigger. Because it's we can we can make that thing more special, right? Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to it just being kind of like a thing that you can just re reuse and just walk yeah. up to. And it's not just, and just a, get your buff. Yeah, right? it's not just a one or the other either, right? Because like, there's no reason why we couldn't have handcrafted like the area around shrines and then randomly placed those, right? Um, the, the but the point of all of this is that any part of it that's not like hand designed with a with a specific experience in mind has to then be tuned to allow for this huge variation in when and how and where the player experiences the thing. And so and it has how many to, times they and how many times experience it all that right. Yeah. Uh, or you have to tune uh, other systems to control for those things in some way, right? Uh, which is a, a another kind of a you know hand tuning, right? Is mm -hmm. like deciding this is actually supposed to happen in this way, therefore you know X, right? And so whether you're doing lots of like really careful uh, sort of edge case creation, in essence, in your procedural generation or hand building everything, like either way, like that's how you get the stuff that feels like an intentional designed experience. Right. Yeah. I think the, the guiding philosophy difference basically comes down to moving from a place where the player is wandering around to discover things to one where the player can explore a space to discover things, if that makes sense. Because, mm -hmm. you know, in the, in the original, it's like we, we just couldn't... There are actually, there are, I think there's like 12, there's at least 12 uh, unique sort of strange outposts or in each biome that aren't tied to any quests or anything like that. And yeah, there's a weird little spot. Nobody finds them. And they're, they also had to be limited, they, like as far as, because we knew this would be a problem, we put them like within the central kind of, most central ring of the of the map. I think they go more than like maybe 200 tiles out or something like that mm -hmm. because that's like the space people tend to backtread over the most. And even so, like nobody finds them. Yeah, but still like a 200 tile radius, you know, you that's like 400 tiles across, 400 by 400 is 100, was it 160,000 yeah. grid spaces, right? Like it's, it's a huge area. Like this is a problem with areas, right? Mm -hmm. and, and we also had so many conversations at the, in the earlier days of working on questions too about exploration because we kept using that word to talk about things, but it became obvious over time that we didn't actually have a concrete definition of what exploration really 
is mm-hmm. because because you could say, and I think like No Man's Sky is such an interesting example of of a problematic definition of exploration, mm-hmm. right? Because it, it's it was almost branded as like you're out there as an explorer, like going to all these new planets where like nobody's ever been before, and you're like naming things, you're like discovering all these things. But but exploring an infinite space feels like nothing. It's wandering. It's not exploring. You just yeah, you're just wandering around because there's no there's no completionness. Yeah, aspect. I think, I think you, you, you have you to have edges. Fully explore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you have to have edges for exploration to be possible. Where I can see how much of the space uh, I have seen so far, and I can then say I'm going to go over there because I haven't seen what's over there yet, and have a guess that it's going to be meaningfully different from other stuff that I've seen. Right? Yeah. And if you go, if you go in the case of No Man's Sky, if you go from planet to planet, or in the in the case of Crashlands, if you just go from like this part of the biome to this other part of the biome, if the stuff that you see is largely following the same pattern mm-hmm. and just kind of doing the same stuff, and it doesn't necessarily matter that you're over here versus over yes. there, That's right? Exactly. <laughs> then you don't really feel like you've explored. You've just walked. You've just, just you've just wandered. You just moved, but you haven't explored and found something that was worth finding, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so and it's still, that was a big part of it. Yeah, and I think there's the nuance here is it, is it still isn't about handcrafted versus procedural as like categories. It's it's about how the decisions are made about what the player experience is going to be and how that fits with the environment that's being created. Because uh, you could take a game like, let's say, Terraria, right? Which mm-hmm. procedurally generated, um, which I would describe as a like the experience of it feels like exploring, right? It doesn't feel like yep. wandering, right? And but that's because there are very distinct uh, sort of types situations. of locations, right? Yeah. And like if you're at a really big map, they are repeating. And in that case, like when you're in one place, well, that might as well be a different place. And that's true. Like and that, and that that's the part that starts to get boring, right? But they have edges to things, and the world changes over time as you like progress, right? So like asteroids come and land, or you kill the boss and you unlock hard mode, and all these. There's enough unique in the biomes, spaces, you know? yeah, yeah, with unique with unique rewards that it ends up mm-hmm. working great. Yeah, but I think I think when you actually pair the the reality though is that when we looked at Crashlands, we were like, oh, okay, actually doing a narrative driven game. Yeah, uh, it actually makes a lot more sense to do it in a handcrafted world because yeah, the level of control you have over what's happening where and the expressiveness over what's happening where uh, that's sort of required. And when you're looking at the, the like a replay experience like Terraria, you can, you know, you can really replay that in a pretty different way, like many, many times because the, again, because the sense of like exploration and whatever else is, is basically what the game is all about. Right. But when you have, as soon as you layer a story in, there's, to me, there's like a bit of a soft limit on like the number of replays at any given, it's not like a roguelike where you want people to just like the replay is the game. Mm-hmm. Right. The replay would be if you just were super into it and you want to try a, a different kind of tack, you know, then you can do a replay. But um, once you kind of bind all those things together, you're like, okay, so probably the vast majority of players are going to go through the space once. Uh, it has a lot of narrative stuff that we want to be able to very specifically do and specifically guide players to or allow them to discover uh, as opposed to sort of wander aimlessly potentially into. Um, then I think it starts making more sense to kind of just yeah, I, I think it's really it's about how designed do you want the player experience to be. And that's yeah. I think that's where you get into handcrafted versus procedural because, yeah, you can still, using procedural stuff, and and, and, and it's always a gradient, right, because there's always yes. both parts involved. Um, but it's really, it gets, the more you lean into procedural, the harder it becomes to create a particular experience. Yes. And 
the more you lean into the other one. But and, but they are both very hard to pull off you know, along their oh, yeah. along their domains. And, and I also think that for at least from the outside, since I don't do any of the game dev work, it also just feels way more intimidating to have a handcrafted designed world because mm-hmm. it feels like when you just when you're like coming up with like levers, you can pull and you can like pull it and like the whole experience changes. It feels like there's the sense of like cognitive load that is a little less intense, you know, where it's like, oh, I don't like how this feels. I'm just going to yank this lever a bit, right? Versus mm, I'm trying to tell the story. It needs to kind of unfold in this way. That means I need to talk to this character. So this character should be like over here, but I want them to also have this weapon when they get there or whatever. But I don't want it to feel linear. You know, I want it to feel like interesting. So, so as you start to design all these things together, it becomes a circular, like really circular complex problem. And again, they, they always are. But you, but you have to like make every specific decision, right, about mm-hmm. how that unfolds. And that, to me, seems just way more intimidating. Yeah, I think it, for whatever reason, it did to me also for a very long time while we were getting started on stuff. But then actually, once we broke into, actually broke out of trying to do things procedurally, and it kind of went fully into saying, okay, no, 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 like every space, the goal of every space is to have a slightly different feel and you know, all sort of stuff. Um, then actually it became very fun because I there was stuff that I couldn't actually, you, there's, like we were talking about earlier, there's experiences I could not get generated even though I had the stuff technically there, right? But if I was just hitting, you know, we had to, we had to basically a repopulate resources button you could hit and it would procedurally put resources all over the map according to uh, various ratios and stuff like that. And it was great for getting a baseline of stuff down, but not great for actually like from a gameplay experience in a way, worldly experiential sort of standpoint. Um, and so even though now it's like, yeah, you got to put, you know, put each rock down or whatever else. Um, it's actually way easier to think about once you zoom up one level and you're like, okay, but, but experientially, like what's this particular space about? And then you can, you can just deliver on that within like 20, 30 minutes now with the world editor, mm-hmm. as opposed to before it was like, okay, if I want to get this kind of experience, experience, yeah, I can't actually deliver it. And so I think that's, that's been the, the big difference for me is as soon as we crossed the bridge and I really kind of got into it a little bit, I was like, oh, okay. It's very much is like level head where Mm-hmm. You pick you pick a thing you're trying to do in a particular space, a, a mood, uh, you know, what do you want the player to be feeling while they're in there or whatever else, and then you kind of craft it such that you think it'll generate that, have someone play it, watch them, and then, uh, you know, if it, if it unfolds the way you think it will, then you're, you're good to go. You can spice it yeah. up. Yeah, well, and this is why level design is its own whole-ass profession in game, mm-hmm. in the games industry, right, is because that as a as a skill set and and like the experience required to like figure out how to do all this kind of stuff is just this enormous collection of of complex interesting problems that you have to be able to like reason about reason and like about figure it. out yeah. how do you use the tools that you have to constr- imagine and then construct these kinds of experiences and then see if it actually is delivering that um, mm-hmm. yeah 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 and it's it is it is has been interesting to see how we've just moved further and further away from procedural stuff as we've got, as our vision for what we want the game experience to be has gotten more clear because Mm -hmm. we have very specific things that we want to have happen or play specific places we want to represent in the world. And you just, you know, randomness just isn't going to, isn't going to get you there. Uh, So at a certain point you just got to intervene and just take, you know, just do it the old fashioned way. Mm -hmm. Just do it yourself. Right. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Sampa DeCoster, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. 
to get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.